0: We're carrying on tonight with our little series in Revelation 1. Let me remind you why we're looking at this. Uh, Here is an aged apostle, John, uh, in his late 80s, early 90s, and he is in exile. And he is uh, away from his beloved congregation uh, who are at Ephesus on the Turkish mainland. And he is in lockdown, in isolation on the island of Patmos. And he happens to be on the Lord's Day. Today is the Lord's Day, the first day of the week when Christians uh, have met uh, since the days of uh, the early church. He happens to be uh, in the Spirit. Uh, The Holy Spirit is poured uh, out upon him. And it's not the experience that uh, he remembers, but the one uh, that the Spirit draws his attention to, Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. And he has a new vision. He is a minister coming to the end of his ministry, but he still has a new vision of Jesus Christ. And uh, we looked last two Sundays at the effect that this vision uh, had on him. It humbled him, but it also raised him up. And even though he was in difficult, discouraging, even dangerous circumstances, he was raised up. And that's what we can experience, even in these difficult days. It's having Jesus Christ with us. Uh, He's promised to be with us wherever, whenever we are, but knowing Him, that sense of his presence, that is something that can transform uh, even uh, a lockdown into something uh, very blessed. Uh, And we're going to look uh, this evening, and God willing, next Sunday evening, at one final part of this vision of Christ that John has. And it's important. Uh, it's not so much a personal vision that he has. There is that element in it. Christianity is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. There is that one to one aspect. But what stands out in the verses we're going to start considering tonight is that this same Jesus is the one who is in the midst of his church. And even though John is here by himself as a Christian now, there are other people on the island, but he's on his own uh, as the pastor, his flock are uh, about 40, 50 miles, I think, away from him. He still is part of the Church of Jesus Christ. So it's this corporate elements. In uh, this vision, which we're going to look at tonight and God willing, next Sunday evening. So, if you can take up your Bibles and we'll read uh, just a few verses, uh, verses 11 to 13. Verses 11 to 13. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst, of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. And then we've already looked at the verses after that. But then verses 19 and 20 as well. Verses 19 and 20. Write the things which you have seen, not for his own personal uh, record, but for the churches, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So, in terms of the corporate nature of this vision, John sees two things. He sees this. Uh, risen Christ walking in the midst of seven uh, candlesticks in the authorised version, but a better translation, a lampstand, seven lampstands. And also, uh, it's um, in the verses that we've been looking at over the last few weeks, there is reference to Christ holding in his right hand seven golden stars now we look at the stars next sunday evening but tonight we look at jesus christ in the midst of the seven lampstands and the reason why this is all about the corporate nature of uh, the vision is that the seven lampstands as jesus explains uh, we don't have to uh, scratch our heads and wonder what these symbols are standing for he says Uh, The seven lampstands are the seven churches. So what we're looking at tonight, what John saw, was not just a personal Jesus, but a saviour who is in the midst of his church. So the first thing I want us uh, to do this evening is just look at some of the details here. Just try to explain them. And we have to understand as I've been saying again and again in this series, the symbolic language that is being used here, the symbolism, very important. So the first symbolism is the number seven. Number seven. In the Bible, if you come across the number seven, it often stands for completeness or perfection uh, in the passage we were looking at this morning. I didn't have an opportunity to, me- to mention it, but the children of Israel were to march uh, seven times the last time around the walls of Jericho. There were seven trumpets that were blown uh, by seven priests, and that showed the completeness of God's judgments upon Jericho. He is perfect in his judgments. And when we are looking tonight at seven lampstands, uh, we are told uh, that they represent the seven churches of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And one of those churches was the church where John was pastor, the church at Ephesus. And then in chapters 2 and 3, uh, John writes what Christ says to him as letters to those churches. So. That number seven doesn't just mean that these words are only applicable to the seven churches of Asia Minor. This is the word of God. Those seven churches are no more. But the number seven is also suggesting the complete church. So the seven churches of Asia Minor stand for the Church of Christ throughout the ages, in all places, at all times. So these words here are relevant to us whenever, wherever we find ourselves. Seven, perfection, completeness. And also, we'll look more at this next week. It's only Christ's view of the church that is perfect. We've all got our own particular opinions of church and the way we do things. But ultimately, it's what the spirit says, what the head of the church thinks that matters. That's very searching. So that's one of the first things, the number seven. And then let's look at the lampstand, the lampstand. What, what, what exactly have we got here? Well, to understand it, we need to appreciate some of the Old Testament here. So let me just give you, uh, two Old Testament, uh, places. One of them is a reference, a chapter. The other is just a general, uh, reference. In the Mosaic law, you had the golden menorah. That, that's what, uh, these seven, uh, lampstands, uh, are the golden menorah. Uh, that was the lampstand in the temple. If you go to, I think it's Hulver Square in the Jewish sector of Jerusalem today, there's a re- really big, uh, menorah there, golden menorah. Uh, it's quite striking. Now that was on the table in the holy place, not the holy of holies, in the holy place of the temple before the veil. And it was always, uh, light, uh, there, there was oil uh, being uh, poured into it uh, constantly, uh, and it was uh, signifying uh, the light of the Lord and the oil of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus Christ said, this is the relevance to us, I am the light of the world. He that believes in me does not walk in darkness, he has the light of life so when we 're thinking of Jesus Christ in the midst of his church, when we 're thinking about the Church, about its raison d'etre, it is the light of Jesus Christ that we must understand uh, the oil of the Holy Spirit providing that light shining in the church, and then the other old Testaments. Uh, portion is Zechariah, chapter 4, where you have the well-known vision of the golden uh, lampstands. Uh, They uh, had uh, seven lampstands with seven bowls underneath, and those bowls had oil in them that were provided uh, from two olive trees. We haven't got time, really, we haven't got time to go into all the details of that vision. But you have there Christ portrayed as priest and as king. And of course, the oil is the Holy Spirit, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And even here in Revelation, uh, what is the spirit saying to the churches? So you've got these two uh, important, vital components of the church, Christ, the light of life and the Holy Spirit, that living power that enables us to shine for Jesus Christ. And what we need to remember is the temple was destroyed by the time John wrote Revelation. Uh, The Romans besieged Jerusalem. And the temple was completely destroyed in AD 70. Uh, this is a few years later. So there was no more temple. There was no more golden manera. There was no more uh, outward things. But Christ is here saying to John, I'm not just giving you a vision in a personal sense of who I am and of your privileged and safe and blessed position in me, but I am the Christ of the churches the church you're pastor of, but not just that church. I am the leader of the other churches, and you are to be shining for me in the world, in the place where i 've put you uh, so that 's the first thing I wanted to do this evening. just clear up uh, some of the details here and Allow us to see it in the light of the Old Testament. Now, let's try and apply that a bit more to us as churches. What does this mean for us? I'm taking it for granted that none of us believe that when we get back from lockdown, we should have an altar in the front of the church and that we should have uh, seven uh, golden. Lampstands with uh, candles in them and they are lighted for the Lord. It's got nothing to do with that. Uh, It's much, much bigger uh, than that. So the lampstand, I think that's a very appropriate symbol for the church. Now, let me give you some verses here. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mounts. He said this, now I want you to listen carefully to this, Matthew 5, 14 and 16, you are the light of the world. He's not saying of Christians, you are to be the lights of the world. He's making a statement of fact. You already are the lights of the world, ever since you have believed in me, ever since the life of the spirit has been at work in you. You are. But what he goes on to say is this let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. Do you get that? We're not interested now in nominal Christianity. We are alive in Jesus Christ, even if it's just Weak, a weak pulse. We are different. We have the light of life. But what Jesus is saying is, shine the more brighter if you are the light of the world. My friends, if the church of Jesus Christ isn't holding the light of Jesus Christ, she is not functioning. She's no longer in a healthy state. I fear sometimes for churches in the West because we seem to be going in the direction of becoming Christian centres. And all we're doing is social activities. And sometimes we're doing that with the right motive in order to try and get the gospel across. But we can get into a buzz just a hive of social activities, and we're forgetting something about our very reason for being. Let let me read some other verses, and Philippians chapter two. It's worth turning to these. Philippians chapter two. Remember now, the early church did not have its own buildings. Maybe some of them might have had. Uh, uh, their own building to meet in, but most of them uh, they they rented properties uh, when Paul was in Ephesus he uh, was able to use the school of tyrannus so there wasn't this concept that we have of a building as a church uh, so if you turn to Philippians chapter two and Verse 14, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without faults in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And this is it. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. How do we do that? You may ask. Holding fast or a better translation holding forth the word of life. That's what the church is about. It's holding forth the word of life. In the book of Acts, that's where you have the blueprint of the church. What did those early Christians meet for? They met to praise God, which meant singing his praises, but it also included hearing his word. So even if we can't sing when we meet back, In church, we can still worship God by hearing His word and by having that word preached to us. That's what it means to hold forth the word of life. If Jesus Christ is the light of the world, what is true biblical preaching? It is just this it is holding forth Jesus Christ before men and women who are living in darkness. Paul said, writing to the Corinthians, and you've got to remember, Corinth was a city of philosophers, and the great apostle could have beaten those philosophers on their own ground, but he didn't. He said, I determined, I made a conscious decision when I came to you, that I would know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he goes on to say uh, later, uh, I preach not myself, but Christ Jesus, the Lord, holding forth the Word, the Word of God, that's what we are about. Where is the Word in our Christianity? But there's something else here, isn't there? Uh, let, me, let me read what uh, one commentator says. It is not the churches themselves which produce the light. The giver of light is Jesus Christ, and the churches are only vessels with which the light shines. The light which Christians possess is always a borrowed light. What does that mean? I think of this illustration. Uh, I don't know if there's going to be a moon tonight, but when there's a full moon, that light, which comes from that moon, it doesn't originate in the moon. It's a reflection of the sunlight. So the source of the moonlight is the sun. And all the moon does is reflect the sun. And that's what we are as Christians. We're reflectors of the Son of Righteousness, Jesus Christ. And so when we think of the Church now holding forth the Word of Life, declaring, heralding, proclaiming, those are the words that describe what the Church is about. And even though it describes the preaching, it really does describe everything we do, even when we have meetings in our church, what we're doing in effect is telling people about Jesus Christ. And if you think of our lights as a borrowed light, we need the spirits to empower us in order to do that. Not by might, said God to Zechariah, nor by human power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. When you look at the sermons in the New Testament, they're not that good, but they were powerful. They're not structured like our sermons, but there's an anointing there. That's what makes the difference. The power of the Holy Spirit. But then there's something even more challenging than that here. The church is the lampstand. The church is the lampstand. The actual lamps which are on the stands, or the candlesticks if you think of what the authorised version says, are individual Christians. Isn't that a comfort, but also a challenge at the same time? A church is only as powerful as the individuals In which it consists of. There's no point of talking about the effect that a church has on society if you don't consider the personal life of each individual that comprises that church. Uh, One American commentator, you'll see why I'm saying American. Put it like this. This is the tragedy of American evangelicalism and it's coming over to this country. The church is not intended to shine its own lights in the way that so many churches today seek to market their programs, their musical style, whether that's traditional or modern, and their friendly community. Rather, the church is where Christians receive Christ's light through the word, so the light is reflected from the lampstand of the church to the world. I would add to that as well, the church is a place where unbelievers come in to hear the gospel. If our light is not our own, but Christ's, then our witness should not be about ourselves, but about Jesus. Why is the church so lacking in influence in our country and in many other Western countries today? I'll tell you why. It's because we, as individual Christians, are not shining as bright as we should. How do I shine more for Jesus Christ? Well, it's by becoming more like him. The more Christ-like we are, the more people will see in us something of our Saviour. Remember those early disciples? People took notes of them. That's important. They noticed something different. They noticed a tincture, a shine. And what was their conclusion? They noticed that they'd been with Jesus. They'd been with Jesus. We can bring these things together, can't we? When the word is held forth, when Christ is preached in the power of the spirits, then we as a people meet the living Saviour. And it can have an effect upon us. It can change our life, our personal life outside of the church. But it can also leave a mark on us. When you read about revivals, when uh, you look... There was a program done 50 years after the 1904 05 revival. I think it was in Talvin Davis who interviewed some of the people that were converted in that revival. Have a look at it. I don't know if you can find it on YouTube. And look at the faces of uh, the children of the revival, plan to do Ipyad. There's something clean about them, there's something pure. It's as if the Lord is shining through them. And even I uh, can remember. Uh, Ordinary Christians, not pastors now, men and women of God who have gone to glory, and they shone for Jesus Christ. Now imagine if it wasn't just ones or twos, but if it was many Christians like that, wouldn't the church have a huge impact on the dark world in which we live in? Let let, let me give you some more scriptures here uh, I'm convinced that this is the need of the hour that, that we as believers become more like our blessed saviour. Uh, we had uh, Ephesians read to us and uh, you notice there we are light in the Lord. We were darkness but now we have been made light. And what does that mean? Oh, this is what it means uh, to be uh, the, the light of Jesus Christ in a dark world. Uh, I just want you to think of your workplace, of your college, of your school, of your community. Verse 5, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, therefore be imitators of God as dear children. And... Fornication, verse 3, and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting. People notice when we don't join in their conversations, when they talk about dirty things, they take notes. It's not that we are standing on a moral high horse, looking down upon them. It's There's something different in us. And that makes us not want to be part of that. Uh, Or what about the verses I read a few moments ago, Philippians chapter 2? It's not just about the preaching, the church holding forth the word of life. It's about the sermons we preach in our daily living. Verse 12 of Philippians 2, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. That's a good test, isn't it? What are we like when other people don't see us? Me and the Lord, am I still wanting to be Christ-like then? Christianity is not a show. And then work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We're willing, cooperators with God. The Holy Spirit is the one that enables us to be different and to live and stand out in a world that is going in a different direction. But how does it look in detail? Well, look at this do all things without complaining and disputing. What do people see in us? Do they see grumpy men and women, or do they see people? who have that rare jewel of Christian contentment. Isn't that a powerful witness in today's culture? And then what about, uh, maybe these are the most famous verses, 1 Peter, 1 Peter. I'm sorry I'm giving you so many uh, scripture passages here, but I'm just letting the word of God speak for itself. 1 Peter. Oh, imagine what would happen if we as Christians were like this or more like this. Verse 8 of 1 Peter 3. Be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. And then verse 14. Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake. You are blessed. Oh, that's what the early church was like. Uh, The people wanted to persecute them, to put them down. But the more they persecuted them, the more the church grew. They decided to martyr the Christians, the Romans, threw those early Christians into the arena. They threw them to the lions. They threw them before the gladiators. And what happened? They died, but they died a glorious death. Martyrdom was considered by them a final crown, and the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church, and the church just exploded. I remember Helen Rosevier saying something that I found really convicting when Paul says uh, the treasure of the gospel, think of the light of the gospel is in jars of clay. Uh, Helen asked, How does God Make that treasure, make that light shine even more. And this is what she said. He has to break the jar. Broken hearts, broken lives. That's often what causes the light of Jesus Christ to shine most bright in us as believers. That's when we realize more than ever that it's a borrowed light. All that I've got, all that I have, all that I am, is because of him. And then, of course, Peter goes on to say, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you. What Peter is saying is this. Don't go on a course on evangelism, on how to defend the gospel. So live as shining lights in those very practical ways, and I've only scratched the surface tonight, that people see that you're different. Not in an odd way, but they see. They may not like it. They may hold you at arm's length, but they see the tincture of Jesus Christ in you. And who knows when they have problems, they can't turn to the world, but they can turn to you. And who knows whether they will begin to ask you, tell me, tell me, what's your secrets? That's, that's one thing I remember from attending the Christian Union in Aberystwyth. I'd never before been exposed to evangelical Christianity. And what struck me was the difference Of these young people, they had something that I lacked. It wasn't just that they were moral. I was that. It wasn't just that they were religious. I was that. They had something of Jesus Christ, the light of Jesus Christ. I didn't like it at first. But when God works, He brings us He even translates us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of his dear son. I just want to give you an example. We've all heard probably of Hugh Latimer. He was the most powerful preacher in the Reformation in England. In Worcester, I think, he, he was bishop, Hugh Latimer. Do you know how he was converted? It was through a less well-known Christian called Thomas Bilney. He was called Little Bilney. Little Bilney. And he was, I think it was in Cambridge, and he wanted to witness to Latimer. He heard that there was this uh, priest, Latimer, uh, in the church, and Bilney was a real Christian, and he wanted to shine, uh, to bring the light to Latimer. So he used uh, his uh, uh, spiritual uh, common sense. So he went to Latimer and asked him to hear his confession. That's good, isn't it? <laughs> After they entered the booth, Bilney confessed the gospel. He told Latimer how he was a sinner and knew His good works could not save him. He also confessed that Jesus had died for him and that the righteousness of Christ had been imputed to him through faith alone. Hearing this confession of the gospel, Latimer was converted. And of course, Latimer was mightily used of God as a light to bring many people to the Saviour. But it all began with little bilney. This jar of clay And the light of the gospel of Christ shone through little Bilney. The light can shine through you. You don't have to be a preacher. You may feel yourself weak, but that's even more reason to depend on Christ and to ask him to change you to be more like him. Uh, We sang, uh, well, I don't know if you sang with Geraint. Uh, Geraint sang it beautifully. O Jesus Christ, this is how you become more like uh, Jesus, the light. Grow thou in me, and all things else recede. My heart be daily nearer thee from sin, be daily freed. Each day let thy supporting might my weakness still embrace. My darkness vanish in thy light. Thy life my death efface. And listen to this, in thy bright beams which on me fall fade every evil thought that I am nothing. Can you say that? I am nothing. Thou at all. I would be daily thoughts. More of thy glory. Let me see. Thou holy, wise and true. I would thy living image be in joy and sorrow too. Make this poor self grow less and less. Be thou my life and aim. O make me daily Through thy grace, more meat to bear thy name. You see, when we're like this, we're not concentrating on self. We can concentrate on self and think that we are actually becoming more holy, but all we're doing is moral exercise. Oh, no, that's not what Jesus Christ is talking about. It's looking at him and reading his word and that transforming us by the Spirit so that we become like him. We may not even be aware of it like Moses coming down from the mount and his face shone because he'd been in the presence of God. But Moses wasn't aware of it. Other people were aware of it. That's the key, isn't it? We're so taken up with Christ that we're self-forgetful. May we be self-forgetful. Now, my time is coming to a close. I want to finish by telling you about the most powerful sermon that Latimer preached. He didn't preach it from a pulpit, you know. Latimer was one of the Protestant martyrs. Along with Nicholas Ridley, he was burnt at the stake in Oxford. I think it's on Broad Street. There's an X marking the spot there today. The Martyr's Memorial is further up. And he said these words. Maybe this is a fitting uh, place. Uh, to come to a conclusion. Here are two men in the flames. They were scared. What did Latimer say to Ridley? Be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle of God's grace in England as I trust, shall never be put out. And God fulfilled that word mightily. Whoever you are, don't be afraid. Be of good cheer. Play the man, which means be strong, not in yourself, but in your Lord and Saviour. And where he's placed you, however dark it may be, be what Christ will have you be. Pray to him. O oh, Jesus Christ, grow in me. And as he increases, we will decrease. And what people will see Even in us, even in us, will be something of Jesus Christ. Jesus in the midst of his church. The church will only function if she is shining the light of Christ, not just in the preaching, in the declaring, but in the living. We've heard. A sermon tonight but now we've got to live and preach a much harder sermon which is living for christ as his lights in a dark world for his name's sake amen now we're going to close this evening uh, by uh, singing a hymn about the church lord from whom all blessings flow perfecting thy church here below
1: Lord, from whom all blessings flow
0: Thou, O Christ, art all in all, all, and we just thank thee for the privilege of belonging to thy church. Uh, That it's not an organization, that it's not a building that it's not even a group of people, but that it is thy body. And we just thank thee that we are thy light. And we're so sorry, Lord, uh, that we are just so much like the world in many ways. Oh, God, make this dark society see something of thee in us. And please help us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling because it is thou thyself that is working in us. So hear us and bless us as we go out into a dark world as shining lights. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen.